You are listening to a podcast from The National. Brexit D-Day is looming, and with the UK government and parliament in general apparently still practically clueless over what will or will not happen come March 29, investors both in Britain and abroad are considering their positions depending upon what the outcome might be. And, as has become the norm, that is by no means clear. Will the UK leave the bloc with no deal? Leave with a good deal? Or a bad deal? Leave at some future point after the deadline next month? Or even reverse the original 2016 result and stay in the Union? Whatever happens, the markets, both in Britain and overseas, the pound and investor sentiment, will all be affected. My name's Chris Nelson, and in this episode of the Business Extra podcast, I'm joined by Jamil Ahmad, Global Head of Currency Strategy and Market Research at the international foreign exchange broker FXTM to talk about some of these issues. And welcome, Jamil. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, Obviously, uh, the maelstrom that is Brexit has significant uh, or can have significant impacts on uh, the financial aspect of uh, the UK and indeed the wider world. The Bank of England uh, says that leaving the European Union for the UK is the riskiest uh, Brexit scenario for the stability of the financial services industry. If the UK does leave without a deal, as as we know, has recently been put, there will be votes coming up um, in March uh, that, that will ascertain whether that happens or not. Um, if they do leave, if the UK does leave without a no deal, how do you think that will manifest itself in the sense of uh, the, its effect on the financial services industry and indeed on the, on the markets, both in the UK and, and uh, abroad? Well, Brexit itself as a concept, it's still very much a mystery what's going to happen in a couple of weeks or even a couple of days' time. Generally speaking, what this means from the Bank of England's perspective and their comments that they're making is it weighs down on sentiment and also weighs down on investor confidence, which then comes to uncertainty. So what the Bank of England are looking at is what the potential implications could be for the United Kingdom, could be for financial sector or housing market or the wider aspects of the economy. If the UK does leave the EU within the next couple of weeks, and there's no deal at all. So what the Bank of England are really trying to do is put together some hypothetical worst case scenarios, best case scenarios. Generally speaking, what we see from the market side is that there's a lot of uncertainty. We see investors are becoming more optimistic over recent days and weeks, specifically with the British pound movements, that Brexit won't happen on March 29th. But we just need to wait and see because nothing's nothing's clear at this stage nothing has been clear for a very long time mm. probably mm. since you know 2016 when this happened there's still not really that much clarity so it's very much a matter of wait and see but yes the bank of england do have very valid points that there's a lot of uncertainty nobody knows what's going to happen or what could happen so far what we do know is there was a vote there was a referendum and all we've seen so far is the impact this has had on financial market, British pound fall, although it's recovered somewhat now, and what this has done to investor confidence. But in terms of what Brexit means itself to the UK economy, it's it's unclear until it happens. And from the point of view of, of investor confidence, do, do you think, is, it, is that, um, let's say, lack of investor confidence at the moment uh, UK specific, or do you think it's, you know, the same for, for foreign uh, investors? It's the same uh, for foreign investors. It's not just a domestic thing. I would say anybody looking at the United Kingdom right now just doesn't know what's going on. Mm. Whether you're within the United Kingdom yourself, you're an everyday person on the street, 
whether you work in any kind of sector, you just don't know what's going to happen. And this has been the case for a long time. So that's why I would say it comes down to sentiment and investor confidence. You don't know whether you might have accessibility or not to Europe in a couple of weeks. You know, these are these are really strange and peculiar issues, but because there's no direction at all which way this is going to go next, that's why we keep talking about sentiment, investor confidence, and things are changing day to day, mm. if not, you know, afternoon to morning. Um, after March 29th, assuming the UK does leave uh, the EU, um, the BOE has also said that uh, inflation could oh well experts have said inflation could well escalate after that um forcing the boe to hike hike interest rates if that were to occur how do, what impact would that have on the market so what experts are looking at is let's say the pound has now rebounded to one free above 130 against the us dollar which is still a significant distance higher than the lows of 116, 118 that happened in 2016. But everyday citizens and consumers have seen the impact of inflation, you know, with the pound fall, although that has reduced somewhat with the pound recovery. So if there's a no deal, or if the UK does crash out without a deal, investors become very concerned, the likelihood is that the pound will return back in a negative direction, which will then impact consumers. From the Bank of England's perspective, to bring some confidence back into financial market from investors' point, they will consider raising UK interest rates. So what this means to the everyday person in the street is you're probably going to have less disposable income. That's a part because of the inflation, the pound fall. But then there's other factors, like if you're a homeowner or if you have a loan, the interest rates on this loan is going to likely go up, which eventually means you need to pay back more than you probably originally budgeted just a few months ago. So this is how it can potentially impact people. Hopefully things don't move in that kind of negative direction. But of course, we all need to be prepared for what is possible. And it's very possible that it will be a negative situation as much as it could be a positive that Brexit could be delayed or not happen at all. Mm-hmm. Um, very recently, um, the EU uh, announced um, its intention to tighten up rules for the City of London's access uh, to the block. Um, it wasn't particularly specific on what that might be, but do you think that's a sign of the EU playing hardball or do you think it's a sign of the EU trying to um, protect uh, its own market environment um, it, in making that uh, access more difficult, how, how does that benefit all, all, uh, the EU and how does it negatively impact uh, the UK? I agree with you, actually. You made a good point because from the EU's point of view, they might not be facing the same uncertainty as the United Kingdom is a question now, but the EU has its own perspective that there are populist risks in Europe. They're very much emerging. We've seen what's happened in recent weeks and months throughout France, uh, Italy, what might happen in Germany over the next couple of years. So what the European Union and the European Commission don't want to do is look like they're being soft with the United Kingdom because they don't want to encourage this populist movement, which is happening anyway. And it's probably going to happen, but they don't want to encourage it as seeing that if you're in Italy or hypothetically if you're in a different market, different country within the eurozone that you can follow the united kingdom's lead which would ultimately weaken the european union as a block as an economy so there's a little bit of hardball but there's also a little bit of the european union saying look there's a lot of risk out there if you want to try this you know it might backfire 
Mm-hmm. And so they, it's almost a warning, really. Somewhat of a yeah. succinct warning is in yeah. that message. And then there's also somewhat of a plan to discourage other populist movements mm-hmm. or other kind of votes to leave Europe at a later date, which again, it's something that, you know, is very unclear. Mm. Um, the UK's finance industry makes up about 7% of the country's uh, output. Um, now, the industry has, has suffered a flight of assets uh, and jobs uh, as Brexit looms. I mean, RBS only recently uh, secured permission to move billions of pounds of assets uh, to the Netherlands in March. Uh, to avoid the disruption of a potential no-deal scenario. Um, how does that help to protect a bank such as RBS doing that? And, other, and, and uh, do you think other banks are likely to follow suit? It comes down to what accessibility you have after leaving the EU if that does happen. So that comes down to the accessibility of the European market. Of course, corporations, banking sectors, major manufacturers are looking at this and they don't know what's going to happen next. So what I see is that they're planning for some alternative scenarios and this is why we see you know, potential relocation headlines. There's nothing that much new that we see now than what hasn't been worn since 2016. But as the date looms closer... And as the potential event risk looms closer, we're going to see more headlines similar to this. It, RBS will not be the first. Mm-hmm. And uh, in such a uh, scenario, when a, a bank does that, such as RBS, what's the what's the kind of short term effect on that bank's stocks? Are there, do investors regard that as a as a good thing, um, or do they regard that as a warning sign? Not necessarily, because it can be seen as a warning sign or or an unexpected move that can impact confidence in the financial sector, whether that's in the United Kingdom, which is why you look at the FTSE 100 and how other banking stocks react to such news. And it also could be looked at negatively from the World Bank of Scotland perspective of you know how they're planning. Maybe they don't know what's going to happen, so even they're concerned. So that's why it comes back down to, and I will say this word a lot, investor confidence and investor sentiment. And it's, it's only natural because there's so much unknown around what's going to happen. Nobody has any idea. This It might even change by the time we finish this interview. Yeah. That's just the way it is. And people naturally need to prepare for alternative scenarios. Um, numerous surveys recently have shown that um, businesses are definitely holding off on investment uh, as a no-deal possibility um, remains. Uh, well, of course, that might be taken off the table in the next couple of weeks, but let's assume it uh, it, it isn't. Um, I mean, in the three months to, de- to December, figures show that um, overall investment came in at its lowest since 2010. Um with that kind of fall in business investment, how do markets uh, react to that kind of situation where there's less uh, less business money coming in? Does that um, in some ways make stocks more attractive or, or does it make investors much more wary? It's an interesting point because when stocks fall, of course, investors do look at potential attractiveness and whether valuations are more attractive at lower levels. But generally, it comes down to, again, uncertainty. It's only natural that corporations are holding back or being a little bit more conservative over how they're handling their potential exposures. Because, again, in a couple of weeks, things could very much be different. Um, In terms of what impact this has had on the financial markets themselves, 
it's more muted. Um, we've seen a lot more optimism when it comes to the British pound in recent weeks and even recent months. I mean, the pound has actually recovered, let's say, the vote on June 2016, the pound fell 30 plus percent over the next couple of weeks and days. It's actually recovered just over half of those losses. Somewhat, it's it's somewhat it's moving even higher and higher as optimism improves that Brexit might not happen at all. Generally, the FTSE has performed relatively well. It has seen sensitivity to Brexit headlines and Brexit news. However, there's also a lot of sensitivity to other kind of global headlines, you know, trade tensions, geopolitical risks. There's a lot of other things happening in the in the financial and the global world. So there's a lot of different factors at play, which is determining how markets react, of course, for domestic investors, for domestic stocks, and for your everyday corporations, you are watching Brexit extremely closely. Mm -hmm. And obviously outside of the country, um, uh, investors and and indeed other governments are are, are taking a keen interest on what happens. Um, According to, to the US Federal Reserve, Brexit is a key risk facing the US economy and could undermine financial stability. Why is the Fed say, uh, seemingly so worried about being so sensitive to uh, what might happen in Brexit? You look at the United Kingdom as one of the largest economies in the world. You also look at the health and the Eurozone, the European economy, and what potential impacts it could have there. What the Federal Reserve are watching is what impact this could have on the global economy, what impact it could have on global markets. Like, for example, in the aftermath of the you know unexpected outcome to the EU referendum back in June 2016, US markets, global markets, emerging markets all fell as a result of risk aversion, where investors don't didn't want to take on any risk because of the unexpected nature of the result. So let's say if financial markets do return to that kind of trend and momentum that we saw following a very historic event, recent history could repeat itself where financial conditions in that kingdom, any financial market volatility when it comes to the pound and the UK FTSE 100 or other domestic stocks could cause somewhat of a domino impact elsewhere. This risk is more contained now than it was back in 2016. But of course, it's only natural that your major central banks would be watching this very closely. Because again, even from the US perspective, they don't know what Brexit, what Brexit actually means. Nobody knows what Brexit means at this point, whether you live in the UK, whether you're a student, whether you're an employee or an everyday citizen. We don't know what the future could be. Mm-hmm. Um the government uh, in 2017 uh, claimed that uh, by March 29th, the UK would be in a position to trade with at least 70 other nations uh, it already trades with as an EU member. Uh, however, it has just recently confirmed uh, that uh, trade deals with major countries such as Japan and Turkey will not be in place by March the 29th. Um, firstly, how how does that uh affect uh, market sentiment regarding relationships with other countries? Um, And secondly, do you think uh, investors look at a situation like that where the government has said uh, categorically that something will be in place by then and then uh, close close to the date, it's not? Um, How how do you think that, uh, that plays out? So obviously there has been somewhat of a charm offensive. You know, there's been a lot of visits to different countries, to different markets, trying to get new trade deals and other agreements because the UK also wants to show that it will be resilient 
regardless of what could happen on March 29th. But again, when you do say you're going to have deals and deals are not in place, it goes to show from the other side of the table, whether this is Turkey or Japan and these examples, that they could even be looking at this situation with the Brexit uncertainty and thinking, you know what, is now the best time to negotiate a deal. Because, mm. you know, let's say if I'm a, you know, I'm a Turkish manufacturer and let's say that pound volatility exposes me and I might not be able to import or export my goods as freely or ex- as sexibly with the market valuations as just a couple of weeks or days before, of course, I would look at all these different perspectives. So it's it's only normal that others are also looking at Brexit and just wondering, what it matters to them. As somebody who travels internationally, I can tell you I can could be in any city at any point, whether that's in Africa, Middle East, Asia, or anywhere else. And it is common for somebody to ask me, you know, what's going on with Brexit? Yeah. To which I respond, I don't know. But the, you know, that's that's just <laughs> yeah. the that's the just, only answer possible. That's yeah. just the theme, right? That's yeah. the theme of it. So, you know, it's it's an interesting topic. Let's wait and see what's gonna happen next. Um you you talked about the pound earlier. Um, what what do you think would be the likely, um, let's say, you know, short, medium, and long term effect on the pound, given the three three possible scenarios, such as no deal, a disorderly deal, uh, or the best case scenario? Uh, how how would the pound likely react over time to those? Let's start with the latter, because of the best case scenario being something that investors are pressing and now that Brexit will be delayed or might not happen at all. There could be an EU referendum. So we've seen stronger pound. Generally, we've seen stronger FTSE over a length of time, but there's other global economic conditions in play there, such as trade tensions and what's going on with the United States and China and so on. But if this does get extended in terms of Brexit not happening in a couple of weeks, it would be seen as positive. So investors will probably be very encouraged to purchase UK markets, to purchase the UK uh, British pound. That would be an optimistic sign for the market. Worst case scenario, in my eyes, is a disorderly Brexit because it looks like something that's going to be very unprepared and it looks like something that's going to be very uncertain. So then I would see exposure of the British pound falling. UK stock markets, UK individual corporation stocks fallen, but then the knock-on effect of what this risk aversion, so basically this market uncertainty, would then do to other investors in different asset classes globally. So that's when I would look at the risks of recent history from 2016 in June repeating itself, where we saw the market sell off in the UK with the British pound. It then impacted a number of different global asset classes across the globe. So you know, currencies in Southeast Asia that rely on risk appetite, such as the Malaysian ringgit, Chinese yuan, uh, Indonesian rupiah, and so on, they all fell. South African rand, they all fell. Emerging markets suffered because investors did not want to take on risk during a period of uncertainty. That would be my kind of worst case scenario for disorderly. No deal Brexit. It would The market outcome would depend on how diplomatic and no deal Brexit is in terms of whether relations with the EU and the United Kingdom are maintained or whether things are contained pretty nicely. If things do appear that, you know, the United Kingdom is going to be on a lot of pressure, a lot of backlash, then of course the no deal Brexit has some risks that haven't been priced into the markets, not just because of the uncertainty, but also because in recent weeks and months, investors have positioned themselves for better news. Do you think um, 
given that this has been uh, rumbling on for two years, three, you know, coming on three years, um, do you think the markets and, and investors in general become um, almost inured to it, uh, to the, to the, you know, the not knowing about what's happening? Do you think that, that there's kind of like a almost a built-in um, I don't know, not safety net as such, but some kind of built-in mechanism that it, 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 they now have in place to be able to deal with the uncertainty and, in fact, to be able to deal with whatever happens. I would say there's fatigue with the theme and that people are probably tedious of hearing about what's happening. But, again, there has been two years to put a deal in place. There's been two years since Article 50 was invoked historically, but yeah, what's actually changed and what's actually materialized is very unclear. So yes, there's fatigue. Of course, as a market commentator, there's times where I'm also, you know, I, I don't know what else I can talk about with Brexit other than uncertainty. But because we do not know what's going to happen and because there's so much uncertainty, we can never underestimate or not look at the potential risks of what could happen because of anything from an investor's point of view, this is what we got historically very wrong in June 2016 because nobody thought it was going to happen. Mm. You know, it was completely underpriced. Nobody thought that this would, you know, even be possible, but yet it happened. So I guess the theme here or the more of the story is that we should, of course, always be prepared for the unexpected. And talking of the unexpected, what if, as uh, some in the government have, have long been pushing for, what if there was a second Brexit referendum amongst the public who then, having seen what, what, what this past two, three years have been like, <laughs> then decide, actually, it's a very bad idea and we will stay in the EU um, and uh, forget Amendment 50 and all that business. <laughs> Um, how do you, how would that impact um, markets and investor sentiment? Do you think? Well, investors would look positively on a potential second referendum because investors and people will also be optimistic that the United Kingdom will not leave EU in the end. Of course, as history has shown, you can't underestimate such potential risks, but there's also the other degree where there's a reputational risk because there was a democratic vote, regardless of whether some wanted the outcome or not, democracy had its day. So from a reputational point of view, I would not like to guess, or I don't certainly don't know, what impact this could have on the UK when it comes to legacy. Because, mm -hmm. you know, as I travel around, people ask me, well, it's Brexit. You know, people might start asking me, so what do you guys want to do next? You know, what what, what is it that you guys want? And that's just that kind of, you know, uh, tongue-in-cheek nature mm. of it. But again, that's why, yes, second referendum would be positive for markets, positive for sentiment, positive for pound. What it would do over the medium and longer term, I'm unsure. Um, mm. There has been some economic risk in the United Kingdom. We've seen, you know, investor confidence and there's questions over productivity. If, let's say if, this whole thing got re reversed, it does not mean that productivity and that confidence will be recovered. Mm -hmm. um, finally, Jamal, I wonder um, if you could tell me from, from your own point of view and also from a market's perspective in general, what is the best case scenario for Brexit and, and why? 
I can only give my market's point of view. It would be a no Brexit at all at this point. And that's because of what's happened in the markets over recent weeks and months, where you have the British pound that's rebounded, market sentiments looking more positive. You've got this truce that's occurred between the US and China. You've got, you know, President Trump meeting the North Korean leader in Vietnam. So generally speaking, there's more confidence over what's happened in the global markets. And this would, a no Brexit at all would fall into that narrative of a more positive sentiment. And by no Brexit, you mean completely scrapped or kicked down the road? At that point, it would be completely scrapped right. in terms of confidence. Um, kick down the road, again, would also be a positive thing because it would give a little bit more time to make a deal. But from a market's point of view, there's also that risk that investors would sell the news because they've priced this in to some degree. And just because things might get delayed by three weeks, three days, three months, or whatever might happen, it doesn't mean that, you know, the clock's not going to be ticking mm -hmm. and people are going to want to see some sort of agreement, which as we see now, is looking extremely unlikely with just a couple of days and weeks yeah. to go. So really, from uh, from Miss, from those who look at Mrs. May, there might you, you know you might well be one might well be thinking um, if if no deal is what the markets would love and investors would love, um, even uh, even you know a, a a delay would be appreciated then. Um, Prime Minister May's insistence that the country will leave on March the 29th is kind of the worst case scenario. Unfortunately, whatever, you know, in the position of the UK Prime Minister, whatever's said, whatever's done, whatever's ever achieved, will always be met with this cynicalism or sarcasm because there's nothing that she can do or will be able to do to please everyone. If she doesn't deliver Brexit, this will be seen as very disappointing for those who won the democratic vote. But if she does manage to delay things or maybe postpone whatever could happen, it would then be seen as good for another person. So no matter what happens, there's unfavorable conditions in her shoes, not because of the person, but just because of the position. Jamal, thank you very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure as well to contribute. Thanks very much to Jamil Ahmad for that expert look into the bubbling cauldron of Brexit. As he says, the only thing certain about it is uncertainty. And thanks also to Karma Gurung, our production editor today. My name's Chris Nelson. That was the Business Extra podcast. Join us again next week. <laughs>